Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally a 5200 game, yes, and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 304. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. This episode is sponsored by Pepsi Nitro, a smooth, creamy, easy drink. Okay, it's not really, but I'm open. I am, however, during this recording, enjoying a Nitro Pepsi, uh, specifically the vanilla cream, uh, sorry, the vanilla draft cola, and then in smaller letters, artificial flavor version. So here's the thing. I don't drink much pop or soda, if you like, anymore. It's not good for you. I, I made the decision a while ago that my diet may not be perfect, but there are some little things that I could do to make it better. And one of them was not drink so much pop. Uh, Also, the reality was, as I'm getting older, uh, it tends to just taste kind of syrupy and sugary and and not all that good. However, I do on occasion. I like if I go to a fast food place. That's part of my diet not being perfect. And I don't do that much either. But if I do, I will usually get Coke or Dr. Pepper or something. More likely Dr. Pepper than Coke. The, The tea that you get, tea is theoretically healthier than pop. But my theory is that the tea at a fast food place isn't any healthier than the pop, and I'm not all that crazy about the tea you get at a fast food place, so I will get a Dr. Pepper or whatever at a fast food place. I think I've beaten that point to death. But I don't keep pop in the house. I don't get pop at work. Uh, I'm, I'm a coffee drinker, typically at work. However, uh, occasionally when a new flavor or a new thing comes out, I get curious. So my wife was at the store last weekend, and I said, hey, can you grab a Pepsi Nitro? Because I heard about this thing, and I want to see what it is. She got me one of the regular ones, which I already drank last week when I wasn't recording. And now today I'm drinking the vanilla version. In both cases, uh, I realized as I was sitting down to record, I should have waited to open this uh, on mic because it does make this weird little sound that doesn't quite sound the same as opening a regular can of pop. So I, I should have saved that for you. The, the pop itself, it's billed as a, a richer, creamier experience. Some reviews have compared it like to uh, like a Guinness dark beer kind of thing. I don't know about that necessarily. I kind of want a Guinness now. But it's not as bubbly as a regular pop. I guess it is a little creamier, especially this one, because you've got cola plus all the vanilla syrup they put in there. Uh, it's not as bubbly. It, it tastes, like the reviews have said, it tastes a little bit like kind of flat soda. Not unpleasantly flat, but definitely not as, as bubbly. Uh, so if you like the bubbly, you're not going to get that here, probably. I mean, it's fine. I guess it's cool because it's the the nitrogen gas-infused cola, whatever that means. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what this cost compared to a regular can of pop. Probably uh, unnecessarily more. I will say that it is interesting because it's a can of soda that comes with opening instructions, which, as I said, I ignored today uh, and didn't let you guys listen. You chill the can, step one. Two, you pour it hard. He said hard. And then number three, you admire and enjoy. I did not. The first one, I did the whole thing. I got out a glass and poured it out all at once, like you're supposed to, into a glass and looked at it. And it just kind of looked like a glass of pop to me. Um, maybe not as bubbly, like I said. This one, I'm not doing that. I'm drinking it straight from the can. Uh, so I guess I'm not admiring it hard, or whatever it said. I didn't pour it hard. I'm just, I, I was going to say I'm shotgunning it, but I'm not. I'm taking, you know, delicate little girly man sips. So there you go. That's me. 
That's a little uh, peek behind the curtain of what's going on in the production of this episode. What's new with all of you? I am excited to get to the episode proper this week because we're uh, I'm debuting on the show the 5200 that I got. If you haven't gone over to Patreon and watched the little video that I made of my first, uh, my unboxing, if you will, of the uh, console, go check that out. I won't spend so much time here talking about that part of things because uh, I already did uh, in the video. So go check that out. I'm excited. I'm happy to have it in the collection. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. Got some feedback. This week's feedback is devoted to Sean. Hi, Sean. Because both of my uh, my feedback items this episode are from him. And they both relate to last episode's game, 303. We played Scrapyard Dog for the 7800. Oh, yeah. This is a thought I was trying to have when I got interrupted. I'm excited to have the 5200 as part of my, my collection. It looks cool in my little setup uh, down in the, the room that that's in. I like being able to bounce back and forth. As I've said... Uh, for you purists, I will get back to the 2600 before long. I think I booked another 5200 game for next episode. Eh, maybe we'll do a 2600 game after that. And then maybe I'll do some sort of um, regular rotation. Like, uh, you know, 2600, 5200, 7800, repeat. Something like that. I, I don't know. We'll see. So, Sean had a couple of comments that he shared with me and I am sharing with you regarding Scrapyard Dog. Uh, if you'll remember, part of the Scrapyard Dog game are these little, I don't know if they're like side adventures or bonus adventures. The equivalent of, uh, in the Mario games, going down the, the pipes into the other worlds. In this case, it was, I think it was dumpsters uh, or garbage cans or something that you, you hop down into. And, and some of them have these giant keyboards. And you have to push a thing and it gives you a, a series of musical notes. And then you have to repeat those on the, compu- on the uh, keyboard verbatim you win the prize or the bonus or whatever so sean commented well first my comment at the time was this really sucks because the uh, 7800 controller is not sensitive enough to let you hop where you need to hop it could also be operator error but let's not dwell on that but sean's comment is this fun fact on the keyboard the tone you hear is the actual note the keyboard would produce. Like when you land on the E key, the one on the immediate right of that pair of two black keys, the note the game produces is actually an E. That impressed me. Uh, I guess I'm kind of impressed too, uh, now that you point it out. Uh, frankly, I would have assumed that was the case, but maybe that's me giving them too much stock. So you're probably right to point out that it is accurate. I don't play the piano. That maybe hampers me a little bit, uh, although I don't know that you necessarily have to know how to play the piano to... Uh, do the challenges. You just have to be better than me. I'm sure I've mentioned before, as a kid, I took a couple years of guitar lessons, but that's been, oh, uh, golly, 40 years ago now. 
I still have the guitar, though, but I never took uh, piano lessons, much to my mother's dismay. So thanks for pointing that out, Sean. It's nice to know, you know, whatever criticism I had of that part of Strapyard Dog, at least they got the music right. Sean then picked up on my less than flattering comments on the concept of head cheese. <coughs> if you recall, ironically, head cheese, not actual cheese. It's just the parts of animals that you wouldn't normally want to eat. Sean says, my late father-in-law, never got to meet him, he died a few months before my wife and I met, uh, all caps here, loved head cheese. He'd eat head cheese sandwiches. Oh, God. <coughs> the oh, God, vomit part was me. Uh, I don't know. Sean doesn't mention here how he personally feels about head cheese. Uh, so, Sean, if you want to elaborate and uh, let us know that, uh, please do. I don't know how old uh, Sean's father-in-law was when he passed away or over what portion of his life he ate head cheese. It's, I'm guessing he was a lifer. There does seem to be, to some extent, th this reality that older people like really gross things. And they, they do because they're the things that they could get when they were kids. Uh, frequently, like, uh, during the Depression. Again, I don't know how old father-in-law was, but he may well have been a little kid during the Depression. So, uh, and that's what there was to eat, probably. So he got used to it. It became a part of his childhood, something that uh, w was pleasant for him because it's what he had, and it just kind of stuck with him. Me, I find the concept disgusting. To wit, <coughs> I'm sure I have older relatives who are into head cheese. My parents were not, but my grandparents very well may have been. If anyone else has thoughts about a head cheese, let me know. Thanks for the comments, Sean. I appreciate it. All right, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Space Dungeon! For the 5200. The Atari port, anyway, was from 1983, based on the Taito arcade game. Programmed by Rex Battenberg. One of only three Rexes... Three actual people named Rex that I can think of. Uh, one of them is him now. Uh, one of them is, uh, uh, I've totally blanked. There was an actor named Rex, right? From the classic era of movies? Rex Harrison. That's what I'm trying to think of. And the third one is my brother. I have a brother named Rex. So there you go. So I have a third in my little uh, cluster of actual people named Rex. If you happen to know somebody named Rex and want to tell me about it, go ahead. When I mentioned on the podcast uh, last time that I was going to do Space Dungeon this time, I got some comments to the effect that uh, this is awesome because Space Dungeon is an awesome game. So I was curious to find out what the deal is. So I looked up the manual. It's a very colorful cover, right? You've got sort of these very cartoony looking uh, 80s era spaceships. And we get the table of contents. And then we get uh, sort of the summary of the, the setting, the, the premise of the game. You're the commander of a space archaeological expedition to a planet the scientists believe was a world virtually parallel to our own. Now it's gone. All gone. Except for the widely scattered pieces of planetary rock that the archaeologists on board consider their treasures. The information contained in those cosmic chunks could be vital to Earth's survival. They didn't capitalize Earth here. That's unfortunate. Your mission is urgent. Collect the treasures, process their valuable information with your onboard computer, and send the data back to Earth. This crystal-powered computer, codename Collect Bonus, it's a terrible code name, I gotta say, can decipher the molecular structure of the rocks and, and a, as easily as you can read a history book. However, your task won't be that easy. There are powerful cosmic enemies who are quite determined that you never get back alive. Death squares, guards, enforcers, thieves, executioners, spore cases, and those hard-to-kill pikers. 
Psychic scientists speculate that these... Hold on. Psychic scientists? That's not a thing. Speculate that these enemies are the negative forces that eventually annihilated the planet. Now they are poltergeists, evil ghosts trapped in a space dungeon that both imprison them in their own rage while storing the planet's secret treasures in its multi-tiered antechambers. Be careful, here comes one of those multi-shielded snowflake-shaped pikers now. Quick, shoot for the heart. Heart. Don't collide with it or else, poof, just like that. Your astral dust. So there you go. That's the setup for the game. Your goal is to score as many points as possible, duh, by collecting treasures and destroying enemies. The plants divide up into a series of antechambers or connecting rooms, which, and this is the space dungeon that they're talking about. Although I don't understand the dungeon part because it's not really, it's just chambers on this planet where you pick up treasures. I don't think anybody's imprisoned there. So I have a problem with the title of the game, but we'll try to power through. Some rooms have treasure, some have enemies, some have both, and some are just big empty rooms. There are several le uh, levels, like the floors of a deep mine. Henry had problems with this in the field report you'll hear. He also had problems with my game playing, uh, as you'll hear in a first for the Atari Bytes field reports. Halfway through the field report, he wrestles away control of the game from me and takes over, uh, and I take over camera duties because I apparently was not doing it right. So his issue, though, was when you look at the screen of the game, it looks like you're flying through space. There's stars and stuff and people flying around and whatnot. But the setup of the game is that you're digging through these levels on the planet. Anyway, I told him basically just kind of go with it. Like the floors of a deep mine. You begin at depth level one, which is easiest. You go through the doorways of each room looking for treasure, destroying enemies with your laser cannon. You pick up treasure by flying directly over it. And a little uh, tone signals you that the treasure has been automatically scooped up into your treasure box, which is uh, a red outlined box at the top or le top left of your screen. The screen also displays the, displays the depth level that you're at, number of lives that you have remaining, uh, the doorways, which are just breaks in the lines around the boxes that are the rooms, uh, a map, a top center, a piker, which is uh, basically a multi-pointed star, and they're kind of frustrating because you can't just shoot it once and destroy it. You have to shoot every little individual pike or point of the star. The treasures uh, look like, what do I call it? Little red biplanes, I guess. Um, and then uh, little boxes with X and X's in them. An executioner looks like a red guy with arms and legs floating around. Spaceships, deadly spores, which are just little hash marks flying around. Your accumulated treasures are deposited in the red treasure box until you cash in their point values by entering the three-dimensional cube of the collect bonus room, which is, if you remember, supposedly your computer that's analyzing them. There's only one collect bonus room on each level. The most direct, direct route to it is indicated by a signpost at the side of each room. When you enter a collect bonus cube, the point value of your treasure is counted and you pass through a dimensional space warp and plunge into the next level, which is a more difficult depth level. On the map, there are black outlined white squares that show your ship's present locations, green squares that show the collect bonus rooms, a white square with a black X, which is the room you uh, lost your treasure during your last turn, and a white square with a green X, the position of the thief, a slippery character who burglarizes the treasure treasures of depth levels 2 and beyond before you can get to them. Uh, all the rooms also have that you have visited so far are marked either with a red, uh, an all-red square, which are rooms that still have live enemies when you exited, or white square with a red outline, which are cleared of the enemies. You start out with three lives. Uh, for every 10,000 points you score, you earn a bonus ship, completing a level, and then entering the collect bonus cube awards you 10,000 points and a new ship. To complete the level, you have to visit every room, but don't have to collect all the possible treasures or destroy all the enemies. 
uh, and you can never really eliminate all the enemies anyway. Once cleared, enemies may surprise you when you pass through a second or third time. Okay, here's the weird setup of this game, and I tweeted about this. You have to use both of the 5200 controllers. I gather that when this game was originally issued, the packaging came with these little little plastic holder that you could stick the two controllers in side by side so that you could use them both. I don't have one of those. I even looked on eBay to see if you could buy one, and I didn't see any. I'm guessing there aren't very many around anymore 40 years later because they were probably just cheap little plastic things, and most of us 10-year-olds back in 82 probably broke them or threw them away when our moms forced us to clean the basement on Saturday morning. You know, whatever. But... You still have figured out a way to use two controllers. So what I did is I took a, a, a little box, took little tiny bungee cords, and bungeed the two controllers side by side on top of this box. And I did it that way. It wasn't perfect. There was still a little bit of movement. It would have been easier if it wasn't there, but it was good enough. One of the controllers uh, guides you through space, and one operates your laser cannon. This, as I say in the field report, is a stupid setup. It makes the game unnecessarily difficult. I think what they're going for is sort of a spaceship control feel, but it's mostly just annoying and dumb. But that's what we got. So you plug the controllers into jacks one and two on the console. The controller plugged into jack into jack one controls all keypad functions, uh, button commands, and starts the game. When you turn the power on, selection menu pops up, and with the controller plugged into jack one, you can press button one on your keypad for a one-player game, two for a two-player game, and you alternate turns. Uh, press button three for a computer demonstration game. I have not tried that. I may go back and look at that to see what the computer does exactly. The joystick of controller one guides your spaceship through the antechambers of space. Move it in the direction you want to go. Ship travels at a constant speed, slightly faster than the quickest enemy. Joystick of controller two operates your laser cannon. Point it in the direction you want to fire. Joystick will fire a continuous volley in any one of eight directions, meaning you don't have to press the fire buttons. There's just a steady stream. The only sound, for the most part, in the game is a machine gun, uh, a constant, the constant drone of a machine gun, basically, and that's your laser cannon. Why they went with machine gun and not a laser, I don't know. And this, this part of setup I don't like, because you're moving your joystick on the left for your ship, and you're moving it whatever direction you're going. Almost never do you want the joystick, do you want your laser cannon to fire in the same direction, and I found it really hard to do both. That may be a limitation of my brain. I don't know. How did Henry do with this on a game he's never seen before? Well, you'll have to listen to the field report to find out. Press start to begin the game when the selection menu is displayed. Press pause to suspend a turn in progress or to freeze the action. Press pause a second time or press any other key on the keypad. To continue gameplay, press reset to return to the uh, selection menu to start a new game. If you hit reset by accident, press button 4 to resume the game in progress. You get points for shooting the enemies, you get points for treasure collection, uh, as long as you get it to the collect bonus cube, during which time, or just prior to that, each piece that you pick up is temporarily stored in the red treasure box. You do not cash in their point value until you enter the collect bonus cube. If you collide with an enemy or if a bomb destroys your ship before you can reach the collect bonus cube, all your treasures will be transferred from the red treasure box to the room where your ship was destroyed. This room will be designated on the overhead map by a white square marked with an X. This white square will remain visible only during your next turn. If you collect any treasures during your next turn, the white square disappears and is replaced by another white square to designate the new room where your treasure was last lost. Treasure remains in the rooms in which it was deposited until you either cash in, cash it in for its point value and move on to another depth level or until you start another game. 
Each depth level has a maximum degree of difficulty. The longer you cruise your ship at any particular level, the closer you get to that level's maximum difficulty. The more valuable treasures can only be found on the more difficult levels. Likewise, more powerful enemies, like the spore cases, who release three deadly spores simultaneously, exclamation point, appear only at these more difficult levels. Point values. Let's see. Looks like anywhere from 10 points for the pikers, all the way up to 8,000 points for a platinum arch, 4,400 for a golden fleece, a couple thousand for a silver star, and a thousand for a copper piece, which looks very similar. Uh, actually, the iron cross for 500 looks even more similar to one of the types of treasures to me. So that could be difficult during the game. Strategies and helpful hints. There are a variety of strategies you can use, some active, some passive. You can aggressively scour through space, fighting off enemies as you store treasure in the treasure box. Or you can isolate yourself in one of the rooms and blast to smithereens all those enemies who dare approach. You can cash in the collected treasure without completing the entire level. Or you can try to visit all the rooms, collecting as much treasure as possible. Of course, you can easily use any combination of these strategies or the, as the circumstances of the moment dictate. Helpful hints. In the beginning, try moving your ship around the rooms without shooting to get familiar with the maneuverability of the ship. Familiarize yourself with the eight different directions and where your laser cannon can fire. This will help prevent you from backing yourself into a corner trying to shoot an enemy along an angle that will not touch it. When you exit a room, the doorway you pass through will glow for a few seconds. This indicates that the doorway has become temporarily impenetrable, preventing you from immediately passing back through. You can seal off portions of the wall by exiting a room, then returning to that room through a different doorway while the doorway you exited is glowing. You never know what you'll see in the next room, but you can be sure that it moves. It won't be friendly. Space Dungeon, there is one game where the shoot first and ask questions later, tradition of the Old West, will serve you well. Best to have your laser cannon firing in front of you as you enter a room. It helps clear a path. Laser fire will not penetrate nearby rooms. Although the corner zappers, I didn't mention those, there's little uh, glowing lines, basically, in the corners of each room, and I guess they're called the corner zappers. They always fire at random intervals. There's a detectable pattern. In any one shooting session, oh, there is a detectable pattern in any one shooting session. Sense the rhythm of the corner zappers and watch that you don't cruise right into the middle of their line of fire. You can't kill the thief. When you shoot him, you can't kill the thief, to me, sounds like a really good title for a play. I don't know what the play's about, but I'm guessing it's some sort of wacky comedy where a, a thief stumbles in on some sort of comedic uh, family problem and ends up being kidnapped by the family or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'll write that. But in this game, you can't kill him or her. When you shoot... Uh, him or her, he will drop any treasure they might be carrying. He will also leave behind guards who will try to prevent you from picking it up. For an interesting variation in gameplay, try playing Space Dungeon with one person guiding the spaceship while another is operating the laser cannon. See? That's how you do it. If you're not going to do this sensible thing and put all the controls on one controller, joystick, fire button, like a traditional game, which is how it should be set up, I guess this is a good workaround. Right? If all you gotta do is worry about flying the ship, somebody else is worrying about moving the cannon. Maybe that would work. I'll see if Henry wants to do that. And that is how you play Space Dungeon from Atari via Taito for the 5200. Yes. 1982. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, 
I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. So as I said, the uh, Taito Arcade Cabinet came out in 81. The 5200 port was in 83. Wikipedia compares the game to Robotron 2084, which came out in 82, uh, but preceded it. The controls are a pair of eight directional joysticks, one for moving, one for shooting. Space Dungeon is one of the first twin-stick shooters released the same year as Mars from as Mars from Ar- Arctic Electronics. Not familiar with that game. Video Magazine uh, reviewed the game in its Arcade Alley column and described it as such a triumph that not even the questionable 5200 controllers can spoil the fun. Don Gordon of MicroKids called the port yet another Atari su- Super System standout. The game was later released as part of PlayStation Portable Collection Title Legends Power Up. 8-Bit Central says, if you've ever suffered the quandary of whether to play Robotron or Venture, you might want to give Space Dungeon a whirl and play them both. Uh, I'm going to pause here and say, I, I, I don't I don't remember Venture that well. I know I've played it. Uh, Robotron, I've played and enjoy very much. I don't get a Robotron feel from this game. Maybe it's just me. 8-Bit Central says, with the dual joystick madness of Robotron and the maze of treasure rooms in Venture, Space Dungeon seems like a melding of the best of these games for a kick-ass mashup. They think the re- resemblance to Robotron Adventures obvious right off the bat. Like I said, I'm I'm not getting that from this game, but again, that's just me. The pace is frantic and the start uh, from the start and doesn't let up. The Space Dungeon is a series of interconnected chambers that you must explore, and with 99 levels, you have a daunting task ahead. The map is hard to keep track of due to the intensity of the game. Right, I agree. The map is pointless, but it gives you lots of information if you get a chance to glance at it, which you won't. That's me, not 8-Bit Central. The lack of fire buttons on the arcade version give it a simpler, a simple look, but really adds to the game's complexity. Getting your brain to use the player one controller for movement, player two controller for shooting, can be challenging when the pace gets fast. It's a gem of a game, one of the best for the console. Definitely a game worthy of your collection. I'm happy to have it in my collection, and I appreciate it. Uh, I get, you know, early twin stick game and all that. I just, uh, on my initial taste of the game here today, I'm not loving that. Maybe with more time. I'll, I'll learn to love it. I don't know. I'll keep you posted. Nepocene.com shares the love of this game. Basically, you can't ask for much more or any better. Doesn't overwhelm you with a killer soundtrack or stunning graphics, but does what any good pre-NES game does, which is lure you in with the hopes of a high score and a frantically addicting game that keeps you coming back for more. I will say, as frustrating as I found the controls, I kept playing because I wanted to figure out that sequence, and I think I already spoiled this for the field report, even sucked in Henry, who for the most part doesn't have any interest in these games. Uh, Even he was compelled to try it. So they got something here. I feel like perhaps it would be easier on an RK cabinet, which frequently would have the two joystick thing. And I feel like in my head anyway, it would be easier to get my brain to adjust to that on a cabinet. All right. Well, how did I do on Space Dungeon? Exactly. After the break, we get done with the dungeon. We get done with the dungeon. 
and historic day here on Atari Bytes. Our first Atari 5200 game of the of the series. Uh, you're looking at the start screen for Space Dungeon. It's gorgeous, isn't it? It's like the uh, console came out of the out of the Atari womb, brand new today. Are you gonna play Doom? <laughs> I said womb, not Doom. No Doom. Doom. You usually play Doom. I should. Well, Doom is a good game, and it's from this era, but it's not. An Atari game. Okay. <laughs> the show's called Atari Bytes. If enough people comment and say they want you to play Doom, will you play it? Maybe I'd do it like a like a bonus thing. Yeah. Tell them, tell them we should play Doom. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. We'll do it for the next hundred something episode. <laughs> we'll see. Doom. I like Doom. I played a lot of Doom when I was uh, when I was a young man. But uh, we're not talking about Doom today, we're talking about Space Dungeon from 1982 for the Atari 5200. I said that part already. Uh, the other first for the podcast is I had to do some uh, MacGyvering. Those of you who are familiar with Space Dungeon know that the original packaging came with a little holder for the, uh, for the joysticks. A little plastic deal that you stuck the joysticks in so that you could use both controllers because you're supposed to use both controllers. For this game, I have some issues with that. Uh, that I'll get into later, but uh, that's the reality. So, I don't have one of those plastic little holder things. I even looked on eBay. It turns out you can't really buy one, at least not on eBay. Uh, probably they were cheap in plastic and they probably are all broken. If you happen to have one out there, uh, well, I'm jealous. Instead, what I did is this. Can you see it, Henry? Yeah. I took two joysticks and set them on top of a box and bungee corded them to the box. I hate the phone. What? A phone? Yeah, it's a phone. It kind of looks like a phone. Yeah. So, that's how we're going to be playing. Uh, left joystick controls the movement of your ship. I have a question. Yes, sir. What does that say? What does what say? Space Dungeon. Mm. Copyright Taito. Um, mm. Taito America Company, 1982. Corporation, 1982. Uh, so... The left joystick is going to control the movement of the ship. The right joystick is going to control your laser cannon. Fire buttons don't really do anything. So is it basically a two-player game? No, it's a one-player game, but you have to use both. I mean, you can play a two-player version, which you can see there. Jeff, four? Um, no, you take turns. You don't play at the same time. You, you alternate turns. Uh, I will be playing the one-player version because Henry's operating the camera. So... Should we play? Sure. All right. Uh, as you guys know, the field reports give uh, you a taste, a, a nibble of my taste, if you like, of the game. Uh, so you'll notice I'm not very good at this. But I'll give you a little little sample. Uh, you will hear a dog whining or barking in the background. That's just kind of how it is. So, all right, let's do it. Hold on. Do a gratuitous shot of my face here for a second. Oh, eh. The screen had turned a funky color. Oh, I didn't like it. There we go. So we're on screen. That red thing is treasure. That noise you hear is the laser cannon. I don't know why it sounds like a machine gun. That's the noise they chose. Up the top of the screen, to the left, you have the red box. That's where your treasure goes. The laser is flashing, so. The square. The laser fires constantly. And you use the right joystick so, to yeah, so control the direction. But 
It's dumb, in my opinion, because you have to use the left joystick to move your ship, the right to move the joystick, and they are almost never going in the same direction. So, it's very frustrating, in my view. Just where you put your treasure. Alright, I have gone to the collector bonus room, which is your computer, to analyze your treasure, and that took me to the next level. These are all bad guys except for the thing to the top left, but I can't... I'm standing up playing the game right now. It was what? easier when I was sitting down What's because... What's depth? Huh? What's depth? Depth. Yeah, depth. Oh. This is depth too. Uh, that refers to levels. You're, uh... I, I think Aren't you're you on in a... space? I think you're Yeah, I think you're on a... I don't remember from the description of the game. I think you're on a planet and you're, like, digging in the ground. Right. So it's different levels and in the ground. Uh, with the space Yes, I know. With the spaceship. But there were, you I didn't design could, it. You Henry. could see stars. I know. I get it. I didn't design it. Henry. Makes no sense. I didn't design it. Why not? Leave me alone. Why not? Oh, that square at the... There's a piece of treasure. I can get to this collector bonus. Nope, I can't. Uh, I guess. Gonna kill me and take my treasure away. Yeah. I don't like... This was easier when I was sitting. I could set this MacGyver con controller thing on my lap, but there. What was that collector bonus thing? For you audio people, I am. Whoops. There. I have dropped my treasure. There's in view on level two. I don't know why. That seems like bad grammar to me, but. Audio people, when you're not hearing anything, that's just me floating through an empty screen. Uh, these pointy star things are frustrating because you have to shoot all the little points of the star individually. Believe it or not, I'm actually doing pretty well for me. Well, I was. Yeah, you were. Uh, the colors are good. There's a fun variety of enemies. I really, really, really don't like the controller setup. I don't know why they do it that way. I think it's just to frustrate people. It's supposed to be cool, I guess. There's no reason for it. Put the controller in a spaceship. They could put all the. Con I think that's the idea, Henry. But these aren't spaceship controls. These are joysticks. Oh well, yeah, because you have a bungee cord to a box. <laughs> right, but even if I had the little plastic holder that it came with in 1982, it'd be the same problem. You're moving your joystick. You're moving your ship one direction, and you're using another joystick to fire, probably in a wholly different direction. Well, but you're using your hands or your fingers. Doesn't matter, Henry. I mean, it's easier for. It's probably meant for younger. Do you kids. want to try it, smart guy? Yeah, I do. All right, I'm taking over. The, this is another first. I'm I'm take, I don't know how to play. <laughs> I'm taking over the camera. Hey, how do you Just start? Just push it? Uh, start on the uh, left on the left control. Oh, left one. Yeah, yeah. Henry's never seen this game before now. He's going to show me that this really isn't that hard. Um, I'm going to do that. Alright, you need a little warm-up. That was easy. Shut up. I mean, good job, son. You don't have any treasure yet, so there's nothing to put in. Wow! You went ahead and left level one anyway. Well... Chicken. There, there's some treasure up the top. I find another one that collects your bonus things. 
go to the next level. You are supposedly analyzing your treasure to go into that. Really, you're just, it's just a gateway to the next level. Empty space, empty space, empty space. Put the stop. Why don't you keep going? See? Wait, what the heck happened? What, what was that? Yeah, the pointy star things, you have to shoot all the individual little points of the star before it's destroyed. No! Yeah, I know. Some rooms you, you fall in right on top of an enemy. That's mean. That seems cheap. That's mean. But, I mean, That's for having never touched the game before, that was pretty good. Yeah, I knew better than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean. Wait, there's more? There's only two. <laughs> Wait, do they, do they regrow their spikes if you exit and enter again? Uh, I think basically, yeah, that's what happens. That makes... Oh, the joystick gets sometimes stuck down. Hello. Also, it's dumb that you have to move your joysticks each hand in different directions. He respawned! Right there! Did you, oh, did, you, did you see that? Claire the laser went right through him. I know. That was pretty good, dude. Yeah, better than what you did. Probably better for kids. Yeah. Like all you, all you uh, listeners who don't have kids, don't have kids. Because they do stuff like this. And easier on the floor. Because they do stuff like this. Yes, it is. It, see, that's, that's my excuse. I was standing up trying to do it. Man. The boy is sitting down right now. He's got the thing Everything on the floor. Wait, what? I don't know. Are you not able to move? Oh, there you go. Wait, the laser's not moving. Do you see the that? The laser shoots in the direction that you're moving the joystick. I know. I had kind of decided at some point not I'm to... Moving not to, to opposite, I know. I'm moving in the opposite direction. I can do that, I can do like this, I can do like this. Show off. I hate kids. I mean, good job, son. Yeah. That's what I meant. Nah, nah, they're hacking, they've aimbot. They, they're hacking. They got hacked off a third party website. That's not safe for your computer. I'll say this, it's a really good looking game. I find it really frustrating. They should have just made their own control controller. Like well a single controller with two joysticks. That would have been really expensive to package a single special controller for one game with the game. It's not unheard of to make a special controller for just a few games, but they didn't want to do that apparently. So, now that my son has made me look bad. Yeah. This is a good point to say. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. 
also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller, or swim downstream to my website, tarnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. So here's the thing about Space Dungeon, my inaugural game for the 5200. I appreciate it. I, I've said this already. I, I appreciate it. It looks great. Uh, my 5200 works great. Uh, I'm just so happy it's here. Uh, so I get, uh, the game engenders a lot of goodwill for that. I find the two controllers set up not particularly cool. I, I get why people do. It seemed unnecessarily complicated to me. And that took away some of the fun on my first day ever playing this. But I did keep playing. And my kid got sucked in. So clearly there's something to the gameplay here. And so I will not write it off. I will give it more time. I'm sure some of you at least have differing opinions. So if you would like to share your thoughts about Space Dungeon with me, please do. I am happy to be told I'm wrong. Happens to me all the time. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. The story of this episode is titled Home Sweet Home. Is that it? Glenn asked as they glided to a stop in front of a massive gray building in a gated community, the lights from several units shining down on a central compound. It's a little fortressy. It's built to last, Katrina agreed. Katrina strode toward the gate, the cautious Glenn in tow. Casper met the two at the gate. With a sweeping gesture, he ushered the two into the compound. Glenn was the somber goo in this ecstatic sandwich cookie. Glenn kept his eyes forward. He just wanted to get through this. You've sent so much business our way, Casper said to Katrina, shaking her hand. I feel like I should give you something. Popular place, Katrina agreed. 2,000 units, Casper said, gesturing at the walls around the compound. The residents tend to be lifers. You're lucky a unit just became available. Very quiet, Katrina complimented. Yes, Casper said. We're proud of that. I like to sing, Glenn said, and I'm working on my drum playing. We have many songbirds here, Casper said. I'm sure we can accommodate you. He looked at Katrina. Shall we go to my office and take care of the paperwork? We can, Glenn said. But I must warn you, I'm a very tough negotiator. I refuse to pay a penny over everything I have. Casper smiled a thin, placating smile. To Katrina, Casper said, Did you bring the items we asked for? Of course, Katrina held up a sheaf of papers. Everything is in order. Casper led them through a locked door on the ground floor of the building, went to us into a small office barely large enough for the three people to maneuver around the desk. Casper sat behind the desk with a bureaucratic groan and called up some information on his computer, frowning at it. Then he scanned the documents Katrina handed over, his eyes darting from the paper to the screen and back again. Finally, once he was satisfied the items were consistent, he said, Right, shall we see the unit? I'd rather not, Glenn joked. Maybe we could just get lunch and all head home. I like my home. It's nice there. Katrina and Casper studied Glenn until he shrugged. I get it, he said. You can't go home again and whatnot. As they walked down the hallways past the many units of this ages-old facility, Glenn couldn't help but wonder about the stories of the people who lived within his soon-to-be neighbors. At one unit, he got to meet one of those neighbors. The man's caretaker was walking an elderly man out of 494 as Glenn, Katrina, and Casper passed. The old man thrust out an arthritic hand. Good day, sir, 
he said in a creaky voice. Yeah, yeah, same to you, Glenn said, not taking the hand. Mr. Howitzer, the old man said. Bobby Howitzer. The man considered for a moment. At least I think so. Haven't been called by that name for a long time. How long have you lived here? Glenn asked. Bobby Howitzer considered. Has the sun gone supernova yet? No. Well, not as long as I thought, then. Bobby Howitzer cackled as the caretaker led him away. Raising that gnarled hand, he called over his shoulder. When you get settled in, we'll have a barbecue, he snorted. That is, if I come back from this appointment, the old man cackled again. He's just a bit of a welcome wagon, Casper explained, smoothing his lapels. He likes to reach out to all his neighbors. The world is so insular, don't you think? Especially here, we want to foster a community of goodwill and positivity. But no open flames, you understand. Glenn snorted now. He did understand. He understood a lot of things. Really well. You'll get the hang of things eventually, Casper said. Perhaps we could just get to his unit, Katrina said, gently sweeping the group forward. They arrived at number 503, and Casper retrieved a key card from an inside pocket somewhere. The door to 503 slid open, and Glenn cautiously peered inside. Hey, he said, I specifically ordered real hardwood floors. This looks like a laminate. Katrina firmly, if not roughly, pushed Glenn forward into 503, and the door slid closed behind him. Katrina and Casper shook hands. Another prisoner transfer complete. The sodium lights overhead glinted off the slime on their dorsal fins as the Venusian prison operators rode a trail of pus back out to the prisoner ward, back out of the prisoner ward. Inside the cell, Glenn looked around at his new home. The lights were low. It was close to lights out for the night in this cell block. The running lights from the orbiting security vessel streamed in the window high above the cell wall so Glenn could see clearly. Space dungeon, Glenn said to himself the first of many openers for conversations he would have with himself over the coming years. I did it, Ma. You must be so proud. But his mother was serving 50 years in the next cell block for kicking a Neptunian in the elbow groin. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable... William Pepper, and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the vertical blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Tortney for the storytime theme. Take all the space you need to leave a five-star review of this show, or toss it in the dungeon and throw away the key. Just keep subscribing, though. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And look us up on Instagram. Now you can call and leave a voicemail, too. 563-265-1978. I cannot wait to hear from you. Especially if it's the only phone call you get from Space Dungeon. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for all sorts of stuff about this show, about my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, about books that I've written, like Second Deck on the Right and other very short stories, and oodles of other things. Please consider supporting the show at patreon.com, helping to keep the lights on in my own personal dungeon, and letting you hang out, in a sense, with these fine folks who have my eternal gratitude. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Fine folks, one and all. All right, we're about out of here. 
all that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're going to stick with the 5200. I got the thing. I just got her warmed up. I want to see how she does with another game. So we're going to play Kicks or possibly Quicks. I don't know. Q-I-X. Some sort of puzzle game. How puzzled I'll be remains to be seen. So come be puzzled with me on the next episode. And until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.